Hawkeye Self Storage in Danville has electricity hookups, 14-foot-tall doors, and 60-foot drive lanes, private bays, interior and exterior lighting with 24-7 access gated entry. They also feature indoor RV and boat storage with three locations, 1303 East County Road 200 South in Danville, 7410 West U.S. 36 in Danville, and 2238 West U.S. Highway 36 in Danville. More information can be found by calling their phone number at 31. 31- 745-2700 or by going to their website hawkeyestorageunits.com Hi there, this is Richard Starkin with the Oak Ridge Boys and you're listening to Alan on WYRC This is Sights and Sounds with Alan Kiger Alan is a Hendricks County native that talks with your favorite entertainers Sights and Sounds is sponsored by Hawkeye Storage in Danville and now your host, Alan Kiger. This is Sights and Sounds. I'm your host, Alan Kiger, and my guest today is Joe Bonzella of the Oak Ridge Boys. Hello, Joe. How's your day going? Alan, we're doing real good, man. As I'm talking to you today, we're out here on a big trip, and uh, I'm, I'm calling you from a hotel room in Texas, Arlington to be exact. What's the weather like in Arlington, Texas today? It's uh, actually a little hint of fall, but still also a little hint of Texas heat. <laughs> it's about what we've got right here in Indiana. Yeah, I think back home in Nashville, uh, we are seeing some nice fall weather this weekend. I talked to my wife this morning, and uh, she had all the sliding glass doors open in the den, and her and the cats were eating cookies, so it looks like a nice day in Nashville. How many co- how many cats do you have nowadays? You know, I've got three. I have three boys, and um, we lost three in the last year, actually. Oh. And uh, little Sally Ann, she was a beautiful little girl. She made it to almost 23. And our little baby kitty, she was a beautiful little girl, too, made it to 19. And that's pretty old for kitties. And then we lost Sonny, a uh, big old furry Maine Coon boy. And uh, he, he was uh, he got sick. He got cancer. And we lost him about, at about 15. But uh, we've got three boys. They're all healthy. And um, like Mary says, we'll, we'll get we'll get old. We've already gotten old, but we'll get old with these three. <laughs> well, that's good. Now, this isn't part of the questions, but you started off talking about the cats. So I'm just going to – I'm going to – do you do you take the cats with you to the farm when you go? You know, we had a – back years ago, we first bought the farm. We've owned it 23 years. We had a little bunch of cats back then. Uh, I mean, we've had a lot of cats over the years. And there was a couple that would go out there actually with me and, and enjoy it. And to be clear to the public, uh, we live in Hendersonville, Tennessee on Old Hickory Lake. But we have a property, a nice farm about 72 miles from my home in uh, Hendersonville that we bought 23 years ago. It's about 350 acres right on the Tennessee-Kentucky line. Man, it's beautiful. Log cabin, stuff like that. But in this day and age, no, the, the, I don't think any of my cats that I have now would put up with uh, driving 72 miles and then being somewhere else. You know, they are cats. They're cats. Okay. <laughs> well, Joe, I want to talk to you about a few of your books you've written, and I also want to talk about your new c- CD called Front Porch Singing and your mm-hmm. current tour. First off, let's start. I want to tell you, two of your books, with the exception of the Bible, are my absolute favorite books I've ever read. They're inspiring. They're a delight to read. G.I. Joe and Lily is one of the greatest stories I think I've ever heard. It warms my heart to read it. It makes me sad at the same time. The sacrifices your dad and your mom made and the sacrifices your dad made during World War II, you know, it's it's heartfelt. My, my dad just recently passed, and it was his birthday Thursday. 
the first first birthday that I went without him. And he read, he probably had 3,000 books. And he had a copy of your G.I. Joe and Lily. And I, I want you to know he gave books, he wrote in every book. And he gave them stars, how good they were. He only gave wow. five stars. But I found two books that were six stars. One was G.I. Joe and Lily, and one was uh, Marty Stewart's The Pilgrim. So out of his collection, and he lived to be 80, and he read nonstop, I've seen two. And well, Joe God bless his heart. I hope God holds him in his everlasting arms right now. It's tough to lose a parent. And uh, I'll tell you what an opportunity it was for me to honor my parents in a book and a song. I mean, a lot of people don't get to do that. And G.I. Joe and Lily was a best-selling book. It was written in 2003, two years after they passed. I wrote it in a third person. It doesn't hurt to know that Joey the author uh, that joey is the son is the author at the end it don't hurt to know that but it was a it was a way for me to be able to write it so i could kind of rise up above it and look down you know what i'm saying yes i could i could look down upon the story as a third person i could hover above it and uh i learned a lot of things about them my mother uh who was a woman's army corps whack they met after the war and my mother was a uh always wanted to write a book about daddy and uh and you know he was a hero at d-day and at saint low france and you know won medals they're both buried at arlington and um uh, my, if, if I had not had my mother's notes, there's a lot of things I probably wouldn't have been able to write about. But my mother's notes really helped me immensely because she wanted to write a book. And on her deathbed, she said, are you going to finish my book about daddy? I said, mommy, I promise you I'm going to write the book. And uh, I wish that she would have lived to have seen it and to have seen so many veterans especially uh, read the book. I, I really did a lot of research, man, on the D-Day stuff. I read six or seven books on it. I think I read every Steve. Stephen Ambrose book about it. I bet your dad read some Stephen Ambrose yeah. as well. And uh, man, I, I just I just didn't want to get that wrong. I didn't want to have an old World War II veteran ever say to me, "Well, you know, it was a pretty good book, but uh, you sure got that Army stuff wrong. You sure got the D-Day wrong, the the hedgerows wrong, the the, the the you know the Battle of Saint Lo wrong." And so I made sure that I didn't, and I never had a veteran say that to me so I, I i took that as a uh, as a high compliment that i accomplished my goal uh and and a lot of veterans read that book and my mother as you know by reading the book she just loves soldiers i think when she married my dad she married all of them and uh he, he he was a composite of every soldier that ever sacrificed in the war to my mother i mean she loved him as a, as a man of course but my mother just loved the soldiers and if she had known or could know, and I, I think she does, that so many veterans read G.I. Joe and Lily and uh, and were blessed by it, moved by it, especially it's it's more it sounds like it's a war story and it is but it's more of a love story uh because when my daddy had a stroke at 39 years of age and a piece of carotid a piece of shrapnel rather stuck in his carotid artery gave him a, a a huge stroke massive stroke and he was disabled the rest of his life and my mother uh my mother stuck right by him looked after him till the day they that he that she that he passed and then she passed six months later and uh, it's it's a neat story it's it's a, it's a great story I'm I'm glad I wrote it and and it's been a blessing in my life and I and I think everybody that's read it including your dad probably got something good out of it and I appreciate that Alan yes and I, one of the questions I want to ask you is what is your most memorable story that somebody has told you from reading the book how it has touched their life 
so many people live that same exact life or something similar. So what I've heard from is many children of veterans and grandchildren of veterans whose mom and dad met in the war, dad sacrificed in the war, mom stuck by him. It's, it's, my story is not all-inclusive to just the Bonzo family. I mean, that was a story of America, man, back in the, in the 40s and entering into the 50s. And, uh, and, and some of those sacrifices, you know, just like our kids serving today, a lot of that never goes away, man. You take something with you. It changes you forever. And, um, and you know, I wrote about my dad's nightmares. I, I wrote about some of the alcohol problems he had as a result of the war and um, in his younger years and, and, you know, in his 30s and stuff before the stroke. And, and so many people have, have written me extensive emails or letters to tell me that their story was so similar and, and that, that that's what's really meant a lot to me because it was people were able to read the book and almost see their own family right there within the same story so uh i, I would say that's one of the, the major influences for me from writing the book I, I love hearing that joe you also wrote a book called from my perspective which i describe as many stories combined to make a big story one of my favorite chapters in the book is called Barney. Um, and I loved how you told a story, you know, that kind of revolved around a Barnes fellow. You know, not everybody can yeah. pull that off. And it, it was, it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing. I've always loved Barnes fellows since I was a kid. And then to read a chapter about them and then to talk about, you know, the mate for life and now where you know, this one's going to go without our mate forever. But what, from my perspective, is, is it's kind of an amalgamation of a lot of things, like you said. I mean, I've taken just every little short story or commentary I've ever read and put it in that book when it came out. It's hard to find now because that publishing company went under. I hope I wasn't the reason. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of cool background stuff. You learn a lot about Joe Bonzel in that book. And one thing that a lot of people probably don't know about me, and they might know after reading that book, is I, I'm quite a bird enthusiast. And out at my farm that we talked about earlier, the barn swallow come in big numbers and they come in this they come at the end of march and they leave at the end of august and they probably two barn swallows come and probably raise three or four or five families in a nest of four to six barn swallows and then they multiply and multiply and there's been summers i've had as many as 260 or almost 300 of them out there on the wires and flying around the house like little bats i just love the barn swallow so yeah you know it's kind of ironic one of my cats is named barney and it really has yeah. nothing to do with, with with that barney but i have a barney <laughs> but you know here's a, here's a funny thing for you andy andrews the great author and comedian andy andrews yes. he, he's written a lot of books very successful guy he's a very successful uh uh speaker and uh, a very influential person and me and him are good friends and have been for years from way back when he opened for the oak ridge boys like back in the 70s and 80s and uh so andy's become a great author and a best-selling author every book he's put out has, has done well and andy sent me a note after from my perspective after he read it and said his favorite chapter was barney <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it was my favorite chapter i, I yeah, so it's it. funny that you would bring that up because i've always thought wow andy loved barney of all those things and inspirational things i tried to write about in that book everybody loves the story of the barn swallow isn't that cute i think it it gives your personality it tells people what you're about it goes deeper into you than than what people see just singing or on stage and maybe everybody has a little fantasy you know everybody loves to watch birds and people put up bird feeders or i don't know but it's, oh, yeah. it's inspirational 
we, we put up bird feeders, hummingbird feeders, seeds, bird feeders. My wife loves them too. And of course she's, she's like loves nature anyway. You know, she's always feeding the deer, feeding the birds, feeding the squirrels. The squirrels come up to her. I'm married to Snow White. <laughs> All right. Also in the end of that book, you, you wrote a little story that was, could have been true, uh, but it was something you had, you had written about Billy's tornado. Have you ever thought about expanding on that story or digging deeper and maybe making a, a full-length book or even a movie out of that story? Well, you know, I wrote that book after a big tornado near wiped out Macon County, where my farm is. I lost a piece of a barn is all I lost in that tornado, but it, it actually was a one-mile-wide tornado that stayed on the ground for 13 miles and just tore up homes and and, and farms and, and killed people. And um, I have a very good friend who lost his uh, daughter and granddaughter in that uh, thing. So that tornado made a big impact on me. And one day, I just started writing a fictional story about a tornado. And it was really based on the Macon County tornado. I just changed the, the location to Indiana. And, and I, made, I gave it a happy ending. Right. But, uh, but it, was, uh, it was about a tornado hitting a town and, and just, you know, really messing up everything and, and, and a family that was involved in the whole issue and the town and the church. And it just, it was a story that just flowed out of me, man. It was, I don't write a whole lot of fiction. I have written some, but not a lot. And that story just like flowed. And I've always thought it was really cool. And I asked the publishers, I didn't know if anybody would, you know, release just that as a book or as a children's book or what, I guess it could be because there were some good lessons in it. But, um, I just decided to put it at the end of, from my perspective, and the publishers loved the story, so they did. So it does appear at the end as a fiction story. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun to write it, and um, it was based on based on a lot of truth. Well, I'll tell you, that, that's one of my favorite books I've ever read. I mean, I love G.I. Joe and Lily, but they're two separate things. But one minute, from my perspective, I'd be laughing, and the next minute I'd have tears rolling down my my face, you just have a way of, of telling a great story, and I love that. Well, I appreciate that, Alan. I thank you. And I'll tell you, my, my latest book, On the Road with the Oak Ridge Boys, has done really well, too. Kind of a behind-the-scenes look at the Oak Ridge Boys from our perspective. And uh, it's, 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 done a, it's done really well. And CMT called it the best behind-the-scenes music industry book written in the last 20 years. So that was a real compliment, too. So look for On the Road with the Oak Ridge Boys. I, I don't know that there's a lot of tears in there, but there's a few. <laughs> well, I've, I've got it. I've read. Ha I've read half of it. I have. I didn't. I didn't get it done before the interview. I'd read from my perspective a long time ago, and I. I had read GI Joe a long time ago, and I reread it again this last week. So, I want to talk about the Oak Ridge Boys have a new CD that's out. Came out in June called Front Porch Singing that Dave Cobb produced. Right. Tell tell the listeners a little bit about that. The ideas. Behind well, you know the. The pandemic affected us all, and it really affected the music industry a lot because uh, there was none. It don't matter if you were a, a, a first-chair violinist uh, for the symphony or a star on Broadway or a hip-hop artist or a country music star. Uh, you know, you, you were shut down, and all of your people were shut down. And so we really, you really had to navigate some weird waters through all of that to keep everything going. And um, it was a tough time for, for, you know, for everybody. And there was a period of time there for like almost four months where we hardly even seen each other. You know, everybody was told, go home, no more singing, go home and shut yourself in and, you know, try not to die. That was pretty much it for the, for that. And, um, 
we decided that, man, we need to record. We need to get together, go in the studio and record. So in the heart of the pandemic in August of 220, we went in the studio with Dave Cobb. We made it real simple. All we had was a was a guy on bass, and usually he played stand-up bass. Dave Cobb himself played guitar, and we had a percussionist in the booth. And the four of us kind of separated out there uh, on our four microphones and one engineer. Nobody allowed in the studio, nothing. And uh, no guests, no hangers-on, no family, you know, nothing. Even the songwriters who wrote some of the songs for us, uh, you know, wrote them in, or sent them in, you know, by, by Zoom. <laughs> so we were trying to adhere to the <laughs> to the protocols <laughs> that were set before us. But, man, we went in there, and the idea was front porch singing. Let's make this simple, man. The voice is out front. Four Oak Ridge boys sitting on a porch singing old gospel songs, new gospel songs, old country songs, new country songs written by great writers, stuff that would be meaningful, you know, songs like Life is Beautiful and Love, Light, and Healing, some good old gospel songs, you know, uh, like, and, and some some new gospel, like I sang a song called Promised Land on there, you know, written by, uh, you know, great new young writers, and so, uh, it came out really good, and, and it, was, it was cathartic for us, because here we were together, making music. We had done so very little. In fact, I remember sitting on the couch with my wife and saying, man, am I retired? And she said, you might be. Yeah. But you know what? We got through it. And Front Porch Singing helped get us through it. I don't care if anybody ever listened to that album or ever got anything out of it. That album meant more to the Oak Ridge Boys than anything we've ever done musically in the studio. Because of the pandemic, because of the shutdowns, because of the pain that it brought a lot of people, because of the loss and the sacrifice around our own families and, and, and friends, and all that it did uh, to, to try to bring us down, music always lifts you up. And that album lifted us up, man. And uh, just to get in the studio with our young, hot producer, Dave Cobb, he's something, something, man. The kid is a stud. This is the fourth album we've done with Dave. He calls us his crazy uncles. And it meant a lot for him to get in the studio with us as well. I think, we, I think it was a big blessing is what it was. I think God smiled on us, I'll be honest. Yes, he did. Well, there's a song called Love, Light, and Healing, and there's a, there's a nice little video that goes with that. Was that video shot at your farm? No, no, it was not. Uh, a lot of people think that my, my farm, parts of my farm look similar to that, but no, it was shot in uh, right around Hendersonville, Tennessee at a real nice property on the outskirts of town. Uh, some people let us use their property for that video. Uh, the director loved that barn that was there and uh we in fact even did a little scene as you as you've seen it where we walk through the barn uh from the back and the front we're singing in the barn he loved the look of that barn and he and then he loved the look of that tree that we stood around so uh you know you kind of go with the director on a video and um actually to have gone out to my farm the way my farm situated man it's in the middle of nowhere uh it would have been hard i think to go out there and do it although my farm would make a it would make a good uh, place to shoot some you know like old civil war things or something because i mean like it's there's nothing there i mean there's there, the, there's wires that come down to my house i'm the last guy there but if you went out into my fields and in the back of my woods there's nothing to even indicate that there's civilization i love it <laughs> sounds, sounds great i love it too now, well, you 
you know, like I always say, man, I'm three and a half miles away from the nearest person when I'm out there. And that's really bad if you're having a heart attack. Well, but it's really, really good if you just want to be away from everybody and just get into nature and get into the quietness and, and be able to commune with God through his creatures and through his uh through the beauty of the sunsets and the sunrise and the, and walking through the woods and sitting by the creek. I mean, man, it's just, uh, you know, because in this day and age, everything is so loud and so fast and, and so quick. I mean, everything, you know, is laptops and iPhones and, and iPads and, and Internet and, and social networking. Uh, I mean, everything's just so fast-paced that sometimes it's hard to hear God in the middle of all that. You've got to find some quiet. You've got to commune with Him on a quiet level and and be listening. A lot of people just aren't listening, and it's hard to listen out here in this fast-paced day and age. So you got to, you just got to get somewhere where you can be quiet and listen. I, people need to learn to listen. That's something I got from my perspective. From yes, in there, yes. farm is, you know, it gave me a whole nother idea of, of how I want to enjoy winter the next time it snows, the next time I see a field of deer, you know, makes me want to go out and buy a John Deere tractor and ride around out in the country. It's, it's, it's very pleasant how you talk about that in the book. Now, you're, you're, well, it's, it's, a, it's a meaningful thing, man. I, you know, I mean, everybody doesn't have a farm to get to, but there's always time and a place to, 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 to be quiet and to pray and to, to be thankful for the blessings. I mean, that's that's what, what life should be. Uh, people need to slow down sometimes. I live in a fast-paced world in a way. You know, the, the music industry, I've been an Oak Ridge boy coming up here in October for 48 years. I've seen every aspect of the music industry. We've been down, we've been up, we've been way up, we've been way down. We've been in the middle somewhere, like we probably are now. As, as uh, you know, we're, we're like we're veterans now. You know, we're the <laughs> we're now classic country. I can't believe that. Right in the, in the early '80s, we were too rock and roll for a lot of people, and now we're classic. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Now the the the. The new album, did did that come from an idea of, when people see your Christmas concert, you guys have a little section where you guys come out there in your, your, your rocking chairs. Is that kind of the concept that this was based upon? I think that's where Dave Cobb got the idea. He saw our Christmas show and he loved the rocking chair segment, as we call it, where the four of us quit singing for a minute, sit on the rocking chairs in front of a lit up fireplace and tree and tell little stories and sing songs from the chairs. It's, it's become, I mean, we've done a Christmas tour for 31 years and it's become like the biggest part, the most favorite part of the tour uh, over the years is when we added that rocking chair segment. What happened was about 10 years ago, Cracker Barrel sponsored the tour for about two years so uh we had all this cracker barrel set up there including the rocking chairs and i came up with the idea of the rocking chair segment where we would sit in the chairs and tell stories and just be uh you know it was a cool segment and what happened was cracker barrel once the, they finished sponsoring our tour we kept the chairs <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it's become a big part of our show and this year we will be in residence at Opryland, Gaylord Opryland Hotel. Our Christmas show is in Nashville exclusively this year, as it was last year during the pandemic, thank God. And uh, uh, this year it will be full crowds with, with no restrictions. And the Oak Ridge Boys will be singing every night for like 31 nights starting uh, near the end of November, right through Christmas night, with just a few days off. Every night, Opryland, Gaylord Opryland, look it up. Well. And... Uh, 
And and that's that's where we'll be every night singing Christmas. It's a dinner show. They have a big dinner, and then boom, then we have a big. Uh, then the Oak Ridge Boys come out and sing Christmas for about an hour and 15, 20 minutes. And it's uh, it's, it's kind of cool because instead of us going way on out there everywhere like we've done for thirty years, it's like the people are coming to us. <laughs> and that's kind of neat. We we just go down we go down the opera lane and we sing and then go back home. I I, I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> Sounds like what you ought to be doing. Something I've noticed. I've seen you several times. The Christmas show to me is a very special show and it seems like I saw a lot of demographics there as far as like you would see grandparents bringing their young grandkids and making that part of their Christmas tradition is seeing the Oak Ridge Boys perform at Christmas time. Well, you know, uh, our, our Christmas music has become a big thing. I think we've got like seven Christmas albums out now, and including Down Home Christmas that we recorded two years ago, record, uh, produced by Dave Cobb. And uh, we utilize a bunch of those songs on our show right now at the present time. And um, we've got a lot of music to dwell on. I mean, it was really kind of funny because Opryland, after last year, they said, well, this year, can you guys kind of change the show up a little? Can we? I, I can give you almost a whole new show from what we did last year. We, we've got more Christmas songs recorded than Kenny Rogers and, uh, and and Andy Williams put together, man. <laughs> I, I play a lot of your Christmas stuff on, on our radio station. A lot of it. Um, Thank you. Heavy rotation. People people love it. Well, you know, we've become known for our Christmas uh, stuff, and that's, that's pretty cool. Like years and years of touring uh, all over the country in Canada with good Christmas songs, and now the Gaylord Opera Land Residency. I don't know if that will continue into next year, or we may be back out there on the road with it again next year, God willing. So we'll have to see how that comes down. Well, a couple years ago, you had a, I want to touch on something here. You had an album called 17th, uh, excuse me, 17th Avenue Revival. That's one of my favorite Oak Ridge Boys CD. And and I don't know why, but there's a song on there called Pray to Jesus. And I've seen you guys perform it a couple times. And it's like a song that you guys have been singing on stage for 50 years. And it's it's funny, and it's gospel-y, and it's Christian-y, and it's just a unique song. America is what it is. Yes. You know, like, you know, everybody, so many people play the lotto, okay? And the song is Pray to Jesus, Play the Lotto. <laughs> and it's just a very well written song. You know, I love great songs that, uh, where every single phrase flows into the next one. And I've always enjoyed singing that song. In fact, we haven't been do- done it in a while. And uh, it's got a great feel to it, you're right. And, and it's just a well written song. And, um, I've always enjoyed kind of singing it. I, I think people out there can't believe what they're hearing in a way. It's yeah. like they, they don't know what, where are they, where is he going with this? <laughs> so it's a, it's a fun song. And if people uh, have any, have a streaming service at home, just look up Perfect Jesus, play the lotto and uh, by the Oak Ridge boys. And uh, you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. Well, Joe, I'm going to tell the listeners a few shows you've got coming up here in Indiana. Okay. One is tonight, October 10th at Hatfield Hall in Terre Haute, Indiana. And then there's one on the 23rd of October in Anderson, Indiana, at the beautiful Paramount Theater. What what will the listeners get to see when they show up to those shows? Well, right now our present show is a fast-paced, energetic show with a lot of hits. And... Uh wave the flag a little bit like we love to do and uh and we're featuring some of the new stuff from Fort front porch singing and people are loving this stuff and uh, we're doing love light and healing and uh, uh uh life's railway and uh life is beautiful and the old ways and uh, these are really cool songs that 
as we talked about earlier, that meant so much to us recording them that I think people are really enjoying them in our shows this year. And uh, that, that, that's kind of what the set list is right now. And, of course, we're also celebrating 40 years of Elvira, as crazy as that is, 81. In fact, this is the Elvira 40 tour. And uh, I, it seems like yesterday we were doing the Elvira 30 tour. And uh, But, man, it's been 40 years since Elvira came out in 1981. So we're, we're kind of celebrating the old girl a little bit on this tour as well. And, of course, people always love the girl Elvira. Yes, they do. Well, Joe, I have one more question for you. Do you have any new books that you're working on? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Uh, people have asked me, and a few different publishers have asked me. I don't have a publisher for my new book quite yet, but I think I will get one. And uh, to write a an autobiography. Now, I've always not been comfortable with writing about me. And you just mentioned from my perspective, and G.I. Joe and Lily, and On the Road with the Oak Ridge Boys, there's a lot of me in there. Yes. I mean, you know, not maybe the whole story, but how could I do this and be happy writing it and make it a good book? Well, man, <laughs> I had a dream one night. And, you know, to me, a lot of stuff has come in dreams. You've probably read about that from my perspective. Yes. And, and, and uh, yeah, and how important it is to write that stuff down because, you know, a dream vanishes by 11 o'clock. Yes. Maybe 10. But. If, if you get up with a good idea, say, whoa, that was a cool dream right there, and write something down just to give you a, a, a little star point to remember something that was relevant in the dream. Well, remember that movie, um, Avatar? Yes. And, and you had the blue people? Yes. Well, I dreamt about the big blue girl one night, and it wasn't a sexual dream with the blue girl. <laughs> but do you remember how she said, I see you? Yeah. I see you. And she meant, I see you. You look in somebody's eyes deep, like maybe somebody you love, and you can really see them in there, right? Yes. I woke up think thinking, I see myself. And I wrote it down. I said, boy, that would be a fun way to write. So I wrote this. I'm, I'm working on a book, and it's almost done. In fact, it is finished, but I keep coming up with new stuff and keep writing it. I see myself. I see myself growing up in Philadelphia. I see myself on the streets trying to trying to get out of a fight. I see myself being inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. I see myself singing with the Faith Four Quartet in Philadelphia and my mother financing our little singing group. I see myself, see I keep going back and forth, I see myself in Greer, Switzerland, filming a TV show with the Oak Ridge Boys in the Alps. I see myself being inducted into the Philadelphia Music Hall of Fame. And I make a little story out of each I see myself. And I think it's coming out really, really good. And I know my book agent, the girl who helps me, you know, get books published, is loving the whole concept. So I don't know. I don't know when it'll come out or, or when I'll even finish it. But I think it'll be called I See Myself. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I can tell you right now, I can't wait. I'm ready. It's another, in a way, like from my perspective, it doesn't take quite as many, uh, fair, uh, uh, the turns, the, the twists and turns aren't as separated. They're all just going back and forth to from young days to older days, young days to older days, with all kinds of different experiences in between. And there's a lot of good Oak Ridge Boy stories in there. So, of course, it's going to be an Oak Ridge Boy book as well. But there's, it's also probably the only time I've ever actually written about everything from my perspective, so to speak, 
autobiographically. And I get that's that anyway. That's the idea. And I and and you know you can't discount a dream, man. That blue girl from Avatar gave me the idea. I see you. I, I love all right. Talk about writing stuff down, and it's changed how I do things in my. Mm-hmm. Life. Well, that's tell, cool. T- tell the listeners how they can find merchandise, where they can follow you guys, how they can keep up with the Oak Ridge Boys. Okay, the easiest way is to go to our website, oakridgeboys.com. Very simple. Our tour schedule's there. Our merchandise is there. Everything you can purchase is, you know, is in our merch. Our, our like I say, our schedule, our biographies, all you want, our latest news, everything is at oakridgeboys.com. Now, on social networking, we have a Facebook presence, we have an Instagram presence. Different people look after those. But if you go to at oakridgeboys on Twitter, I'm doing those tweets. You're you're getting the tweets right from us. And uh, kind of like on the road with the Oak Ridge Boys, I like to take people with us on Oak Ridge Boys Twitter. So if you go to at Oak Ridge Boys, you will uh, uh, be able to travel with us every single day and get updates and news as it happens. Uh, That's at Oak Ridge Boys, all one word, on Twitter. And then my own Twitter account is at Joe Bonzel, J-O-E-B-O-N-S-A-L-L, at Joe Bonzel. And that is probably my tweets are, I would say, 60% inspirational, uh, 10 or 20% music and Oak Ridge Boys, and um, what's left is pure lunacy. (laughs) Yeah, I follow you in there, so I I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah, and, I, and I tweet a lot about cats. Yes, you do. That's the reason I yes. wanted to ask questions about your cats. So, well, there you go. There you go. Then, you, then, then you've seen Barney. Yes, I've seen Barney. Okay, well, he, he's a great cat, man. I, uh, Barney's a unique story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went into a pet store to buy some uh, stuff Mary wanted me to get. I had a little honeydew list one day, and I went to this pet store, and in a cage was this was Barney. And I saw this cat, and I it was almost like the blue girl experience. I saw him, and I felt like he saw me, and there was just something really special about this cat. Right at that time, we'd had plenty of cats, and Mary didn't want another cat. So I said, well, man, let me go to Twitter or something and see if I can get this cat a good home, because, man, he's special. Well, this old boy saw my tweet, went to the down there, drove down to Hendersonville, Tennessee, adopted the cat. And had him for three years, stayed in touch with me. We became good friends. He let me know how the cat was doing all the time. He even started a Twitter account for Barney called Barney Mighty. We kept calling him the Mighty Barney, Mighty Barn. And, uh, well, a couple, two years ago, this guy passed away. And they found him dead in his condo. The sheriff found him dead after, I guess, some people, you know, realized something was not right here. And poor Barney was was in there. What a nightmare for this cat. So my wife, my, we asked, well, the sheriff, well, where's the cat? So, well, we've got him down here at the sheriff's department, and we're going to take him to the shelter. My wife said, let's go get that cat. So, man, we went down there and rescued Barney. So that's why he's so special, you see. That is a great story. Well, and we brought him home, and he has become my cat. I've never had a cat. They all love her, and Barney does too, because like I said, I'm married to Snow White. But this cat loves me, 
And I think somehow, I know it sounds crazy, but somehow or another, I think we both go back to that day we met in that pet store. And I, and we rescued him from a situation that was a nightmare. I think he still has a little PTSD over it, to be honest. But he's a great cat, and man, I love this cat more than anything. Being on the road, of course, I always miss my family, but I can tell you, I miss my cat. <laughs> well, pets are, pets are special. Pets are special. They are. They are. Whether you're a dog person, a cat person, I don't care. I guess if you own a gerbil, if you get close to it, man, you can get something out of the relationship. And I just love my cats. We're Like I said, we're down to three boys. Mitty, the kitty, loves us both, but he's not real sociable. Crockett does not love me at all. He's jealous of me. He loves Mary. When I come home, he, he I think the look he gives me is he could kill me. <laughs> but Barney... He's my guy. So I now have a cat, and, and, and it's Barney, the same name as the Barn Swallow, strangely enough. The, the guy who died named him Barney. I didn't name him Barney. Well, I, I appreciate those stories, and I'm sure the listeners do. Joe, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a guest on Sights and Sounds. I want to Well, thank you, Alan. This was an in-depth interview, man. We've covered a lot of ground here. I really appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Well, no, I'm, it's my pleasure. And I want to thank you for all you've done. I mean, I want, yes, to thank you for all you've done to enrich mine and many thousands of others' lives with your voice and the Oak Ridge Boys and your writing. You will never know until you get to heaven how much you've meant your stories, your songs to so many people across the world. Alan, man, that means the world. Thank you, brother. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this myself. Thank you, man. You've been a blessing to me today. Thank you. I appreciate yes, it. Sir. You've been listening to Sights and Sounds with Alan Kiger, sponsored by Hawkeye Storage in Danville. Join us the first and third Sunday of every month at 11 a.m. on WYRZ. And don't forget, if you miss a broadcast, you can hear the podcast at sightsandsoundspromotions.com, where Alan hangs out with music royalty. Hawkeye Self Storage in Danville has electricity hookups, 14-foot tall doors, and 60-foot drive lanes, private bays, interior and exterior lighting with 24-7 access gated entry. They also feature indoor RV and boat storage with three locations, 1303 East County Road 200 South in Danville, 7410 West U.S. 36 in Danville, and 2238 West U.S. Highway 36 in Danville. More information can be found by calling their phone number at 316 316- 7-745-2700 or by going to their website hawkeyestorageunits.com